Your plane has landed here at episode 279. Do you find that when you're on holiday or vacation, your health totally falls apart because you don't have access to healthy food? Or that you use the holiday as an excuse to permanently fall off the bandwagon and you don't even get back on the bandwagon when you return home? If you're nodding, keep listening. Because on this episode, I share with you a bit of a personal health diary. After an overseas trip to the UK and the Mediterranean, I documented all the things that went wrong with my health, how fast they happened, and what it meant for me. I also noted down how the food in different countries affected my blood sugar, my binge eating, and some health problems with my body. Even for me, it happened really fast. Not only that, but I talk about how you can get back onto the healthy bandwagon quickly once you get back home. And no, it's not a juice cleanse or a meditation retreat. (laughs) So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I'm glad to have you here on today's episode with me back in town. So it is myself and today's guest, which is nobody. So I apologize that you're going to have to put up with me in your ears for however long this conversation goes for. But it's going to be relevant to you because if you've ever been on a holiday, then you will understand what I'm about to talk about. And you're probably very curious as to some of the stuff I'm going to share on today's episode. But first, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And if you have any interest in being a part of those 500 people, there is a link in the show notes below. But you've probably been in a situation, whether you are going to be in the 500 people or not, where you go on holidays and completely derail whatever level of health you had going on when you left home. Now, many people don't have any health going on when they're at home, but they might have a little bit and they might have a lot. And then you go on holidays and you are in a situation where you've just lost it completely. It's gone out the window. It's gone out the door because you're out of routine. You're not sleeping well and things are just a mess. So I recently went to the UK. I went to Ireland first for a family wedding And then I continued on around Ireland for a little bit and with my parents and then to Northern Ireland. And then we sort of, the family all split up and went their separate ways. And from there went to Scotland, which was incredible. I got to hang out with my friend, Matthew. He's a podcast friend. And no, it was not me hanging out with myself. Matthew and Julia and Brooke, beautiful little family in Scotland and looking forward to actually having them on the podcast at some point, which is going to be juicy. So I spent some time in Scotland checking the place out and then went down to England for a little while, across to Italy for a few weeks and then to Canada and then Fiji and then Melbourne. (laughs) So it was an incredible trip over the course of six weeks. And then I landed back in Melbourne where it was cold, miserable winter and jumped straight on a plane to go to the Gold Coast, to go to Queensland to get some warmth or at least to get away from the miserable weather. However, I'm back. I'm back in Melbourne. I'm getting things done. I'm dealing with the cold. And so what I want to talk to you about is the challenges that I personally had with food, nutrition, and the negative impacts of poor food choices on my body because I was very much not in my normal routine. And so 
what I want to do across this episode, I'm going to talk about the food experience that I had during the trip in different locations and what I observed in the way that people eat or what was available on menus and in supermarkets. I made sure that I went into supermarkets in almost every town that I was in because I wanted to understand how the general population was being provided for. And so I want to talk about the food and I want to talk about exactly what went wrong with my body (laughs) whilst I was overseas and eating an extremely different diet with my half Australian, half Irish family at a wedding. That should give you enough information as to how loose that was. (laughs) And I want to talk about it because how quickly we fall off the bandwagon is sometimes faster than the speed of light. It's so rapid. And one of the challenges we have when we get home is getting back on the bandwagon, is being able to get back into a healthy lifestyle. So I'm going to talk about all of that. So I want to start first and foremost, just talking about the type of food in the UK. So Interestingly, this podcast is very much an international podcast that is listened to in over 40 countries, which is incredible. And the UK, I know we've got a heap of UK listeners, and I met some of them. I met some of them, which was so cool while I was there. But the UK, the food to me is very heavy. So it's a lot of complex carbs dominating the plate. And when I talk about complex carbs, I'm talking about potatoes and parsnips and root vegetables or below ground vegetables. And of course, so much beer, so much beer. Australians think they drink. Remember where Australia got its culture from? It was the UK, the OG, the OG of getting super drunk (laughs) with a strong culture of just smashing piss as much as you can. And for those that are not Australian, drinking piss means drinking alcohol. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was a lot of complex carbs. and, And I found myself feeling really heavy after I ate meals in the UK, whether it was Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, the UK, I found myself feeling, yeah, just quite heavy, quite heavy. Although I will say that my friends in Scotland were very, are very healthy people. That's why I'm going to get them on the podcast. And they fed me so well. And I felt so amazing because my body was basically dying at that point. (laughs) And the other thing is too, was the serving size that I noted in the UK, which was Food was pretty similar, I guess, to Australia. You know, there's probably the serving sizes are probably too much when you're out and about in most places. However, you want to get your bang for your buck, obviously. And obviously, then there's alcohol, beer and Guinness and that type of thing. And people don't actually know what a pot of beer is in most of the world. I didn't know this. But Victoria in Australia, in Melbourne, we have pots of beer. It's a really small drink, basically. It's a really small volume of alcohol. They don't have that in the UK. You drink pints or you're a weak little bitch. (laughs) There's no in-between. There's no in-between. So it's so easy to be served up a lot of beer and feel obligated to drink it all. And my parents can attest to this. There was a a lot of times or a bunch of times, at least with them, where I, I abandoned the drink, you know, because I didn't hesitate. You know, people probably think that nutritionists and people that are food experts go overseas and find some way to eat absolutely perfectly. And that's not, I want to have the UK experience, you know, I want to try all the food and I want to drink the beer and I want to connect with the fam and, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so I tried everything that I possibly could that was Irish. I tried everything that I could that was Scottish and I went balls to the wall, so to speak. 
There's probably a better phrase for that. But um, in order to try all of these things, because I wanted to understand what does the nutrition feel like in my body that most of the people in this country are consuming, because these are the foods and the lifestyle and the beverages and the way that people do life and food. This is the reason that the Western world has such a fucked up situation with blood sugar and weight and gut issues and mental health and the list, you know, the list goes on. And so, so anyway, Point is, I dove in head first. So the UK, very heavy food, very complex carb dominated. And yeah, just not as amazing as I expected. Relatively bland in the context of, you know, I live in Melbourne, one of the best food cities in the world. You know, it was still still good. But I think as an overall thing, it was generally a bit bland. A lot of white stuff on the plate with the complex carbs. And then, of course, spent a few weeks in Italy and I traveled with an Italian And so, you know, we went as Italian as we could. And every time we looked for food or we went places, I just said, what is the most Italian thing on the menu? Or what is the thing on the menu that is relevant to this particular area? And as you know, Italians are very passionate about their food. They're extremely passionate to the point that if you use too much salt or pepper, they'll be offended. Because it's kind of the opposite thinking in Italy about food compared to, let's say, Asia. So like if we're talking all parts of Asia, whether it be China, whether it be India, whether it be Sri Lanka, whether it be Japan, they use a lot of spices. They use a lot of flavorings to make the food, you know, really tasty. Whereas in Italy, it's the opposite idea. It's that they want the physical food to be not flavored with other flavors. They want to grow really healthy natural tomatoes or really healthy, amazing pasta that has its own flavor and that you enjoy the flavors of the physical food itself. And whereas in obviously the you know Asian countries in this example that I'm giving you now, they use as many herbs and spices as they can to give it all of these complex flavors and nutrient profiles. And we can go into the history of food. I can have that conversation and explain why that difference exists. But the point is that they're very different ideas. And it's also noted in the way that Italians eat. So even though the food in Italy is very low protein to the point that most pasta dishes have no protein at all, and I guess many pizza dishes don't either, and the reality is, and I confirmed this with a bunch of different people while I was there, Italians literally eat pizza, pasta, wine, and beer on a daily basis. And it's actually quite hard to find a fat person in Italy. You know, I'm very observant of this. The UK, absolutely full of overweight clearly unwell people. Italy, very difficult. The other thing that I'll note, if you've read the book Deep Nutrition by Dr. Kate Shanahan, whom we will hopefully get on here eventually, it's it's basically my Bible for nutrition. But she talks in the first half of the book about the level of attractiveness of people and that the level of attractiveness reflects, and this is why, you know, and we can, this is a whole rabbit hole of a conversation, so please nobody get triggered. But the reason that men are attracted to beautiful women is because biologically speaking is that if you have natural inherent beauty that's built into your biology that means that you have a good nutrient profile and when you were in the womb when that person was in the womb they were exposed to a perfect nutrient composition which tells men's sperm cells this woman is going to produce healthy, strong offspring. And that's why we're attracted to attractive people, men and women. We're attracted to people that look beautiful naturally. 
because it tells us that the offspring that we will create together is going to be healthy, strong, fit, and able to survive. Now, obviously, in the Western world, you can basically, you know, be born without most of your organs and limbs and still survive because we, you know, have this artificial reality that we've created where medicine helps keep everybody alive, which is fantastic because it's probably saved my life too. But going back to Italy, is that I saw so many classically beautiful women. Not only that, but there was very little amount of people that were dressed, revealing loads of skin. I didn't see bums hanging out anywhere. Like it was just, it just seemed like they're a bit more respectful. Anyway, my opinions aside, there was a lot of classically beautiful people over there. And that's not just a male testosterone-driven comment. I think that many, many people would agree with, you know, Italy being a very beautiful, attractive country. And so this tells me a lot nutritionally. This tells me that people eat, get enough nutrition. They eat really well. But the conversation then opens up about what is really well. If the average Italian eats pizza, pasta, beer, and wine on a daily basis, like if you do that in Melbourne, you will have all sorts of issues. If you do that in the USA, you will have all sorts of issues. You'll be a normal Australian. You'll be a normal North American, which is overweight, gut issues, going to die of heart disease or cancer or diabetes. And so we hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet and, and you know, we should eat like the Italians or the people in the Mediterranean But after being there and traveling with an Italian and making sure that we go to sort of more authentic, real Italian places and experiences and seeing the people and seeing what everybody eats and it being very obvious to me that the only overweight people that I really saw were tourists and, you know, in different locations. I Sure, I saw the odd overweight Italian, but it's very, very rare compared to Australia or or being in North America is that it's not the Mediterranean diet. That is only one small piece of the answer because the Mediterranean diet or the Italian diet done in the Western world of England, Australia, the USA, it wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc and creates all sorts of disease. So it can't just be the Mediterranean diet. It cannot be just the Mediterranean diet. I think it's the Mediterranean lifestyle. And there are so many other things to that. I think I'm going to do a whole podcast analyzing the Mediterranean diet because in Italy as well, there's a blue zone, you know, and I'm going to do a rabbit hole podcast on the blue zones as well because, you know, sure, we love blue zones. But so a blue zone just quickly is where there's seven of them in the world where they have a disproportionate number. So a higher than normal number of centenarians, people that live to 100 years old. And there, yeah, there's one of those in Italy. Remembering that most of those people that live to 100, lived to 100 before commercialized sugar industry was running the world. Anyway, point is that there's something about that part of the world where people eat this amazing, delicious food that isn't quote unquote overly healthy, but it is in different ways. And they live longer, they look beautiful, which means they've got good nutrient profiles, which means they're going to be amazing parents and produce healthy offspring. And I mean mean amazing parents biologically. So what's going on? Anyway, it's baffling. And the other thing is that they eat slowly. They eat really slowly. So they're really, they're really big on talking and communicating. And so they eat and they talk and they eat and they talk and they eat and they talk. It's not like you sit there silently, absolutely smash your bowl of pasta and then talk. The meal that you eat takes a while. And equally, the alcohol that you're drinking at the table, you have, you know, one glass of wine 
and you slowly drink that. And I actually think the reason that they eat so slowly is because they're such passionate, communicable people that they, instead of eating over a 10-minute period or a 20-minute period, they eat the same dish that we would in Australia over the course of an hour or drink the one glass of wine over the course of an hour or an hour and a half because they're just passionately talking and communicating and going deep and, you know, whatever they're doing in, in the conversation, they're distracted from the actual food. And then when they are eating, they really eat slowly and they, you know, put it all around their mouth and love it. And obviously this is not everybody. And obviously there's going to be some Italians listening that say, Maddie, that's not how it is. But there is something significantly different in the way that Italians do things because that, that same diet, low protein, carbohydrate rich, alcohol rich, bread rich, <laughs> pasta rich, pizza rich, it destroys lives in other countries. Eating like that absolutely destroys lives, it destroys families, it destroys your ability to create healthy offspring, it destroys smiles, poor teeth, like there's something different and it's not just the Mediterranean diet. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Anyway, then from there I went to Canada. I know this is a bit of a weird trip. So I was on a Zoom call with my wonderful friend, Danielle Dame. You might know her. She's a sugar freedom coach. She's been on the podcast before, episodes 71 and 38. And there's a bunch of other episodes that she's also been on with me where we were sort of having collaborative conversations. But we were on a Zoom call and I hadn't booked my flight home from Rome. And Danny said, what if you came to Canada? And I said, nah, that's going to cost a lot more money than going Rome to Melbourne. And she said, just check. And so I was like, let's have a look. Had a look. And it only ended up being about two or $300 more. And Danny and I have been friends for, we think, five years. We've been on a Zoom call for the last two or three years every single week. And we've become really good friends. We've helped each other go through some difficult stuff. We've helped each other as friends, as coaches, as business colleagues. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to come to Canada. I'm going to meet you finally. So anyway, I flew to Canada and I didn't really do much Canadian stuff, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I know we have hundreds of Canadian listeners, but my goal was to be there and hang out with Danny and her partner. So I stayed with them, Ben and Danny for a week, which was incredible. And they gave me the Vancouver Island experience. And it was wonderful because 
Danny's also a health coach and a, an amazing friend that's in this healthy world of amazingness. And so I got fed so well and so looked after and my body was so thankful. So thankful that we got to uh, eat some healthy food and some vegetables and some salad and some naturally hunted meat. Oh, it was so good. Not to mention the fact that Danny feels like soul family. Oh, it was so nice to actually spend time in real life and connect in you know a real world. And it's really nice when you meet people that you've been friends with online for a long time and you just connect and you're like, oh, these are my people. It's so refreshing. So, because obviously meeting people on the internet, as we all know from dating apps, well, those of us that have used them can be pretty risky, can be pretty risky. And I found that entertaining with some people that I did meet while I was gone. (laughs) But it was so nice to meet Danny in person and Ben. They're fantastic and they introduced me to their family and their friends. And it was just, it all felt great. So nice to know that that friendship is now rooted in reality. So I was very happy about that. And I didn't do much. I didn't do much Canadian stuff other than being a Vancouver Islander for a few days, which was so fun. So I can't comment too much on what the average Canadian eats, but it is a North American country and not far from the USA. And whilst the culture and personality of Canadians is generally quite different to people from the USA because they call, you've probably heard this, they call Canada Australia's sister or cousin country, very similar attitude towards life, I think. So we absolutely love Canada based on my experience so far, though it was a very limited Canadian experience. But anyway, what I want to get into is I want to talk to you about how long it took for my health problems to come back. So I got into this health space mainly because I was fired up after working in a cancer hospital at how little I thought big pharma and doctors and medicine and hospitals were doing to actually help people. And when I realized that doctors were basically drug dealers that are just matching symptom and drug. And it took me a bunch of years to get to a point where I was like, I'm going to do something different. different. I'm going to do something differently because I believe that food, nutrition, mindset, belief systems are much are a much greater part than prescribing somebody drugs to solve their problems. So that's big the big part of it. But there's another part, which is that I had my own health issues. You know, I was going to the toilet and bleeding out my butt <laughs> every single time for years at university after living on a grain rich, you know, pasta, rice, beer, university diet, and I had other men in the family which had had similar problems, grandfathers, uncles, fathers. <laughs> I don't I have only one father, by the way. <laughs> so anyway, so that was a little part of my health journey, trying to figure out my gut and what was going on. And, you know, there was I was like, shit, do I have cancer at the time? And all sorts of stuff. When really it was just food and grains that had ripped the inside of my bowels to shreds and caused all sorts of hemorrhoids and, and problems and stuff. And so part of me going on a health journey was trying to fix that. So I want to talk to you about how fast my stuff came back because I was also addicted to sugar. I also had health problems. And so I want to talk to you about how quickly going on vacation, being in a different country and being exposed to a different food landscape, you know, how fast that changes things for me, right? And you might understand how then, you know, how fast it's going to happen for you and how difficult it is to get back on the bandwagon when we get home. So I made notes of this with intention to record a podcast as I went. So for me, it took the first thing, it took seven days for breakfast hunger to come back. 
So I don't normally do breakfast or my breakfast is usually somewhere from 10 to 1 p.m. I sort of do that intermittent fasting thing of somewhere between 16 hours a day and eight hours eating. I approximately do that. So I just listen to my body. You know, I just go and eat when I'm ready, which is usually 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. most days after a workout. So I usually work out fasted and then do do that. And so it took seven days of having breakfasts and keeping in mind my sleep schedule was absolutely smashed because it's a 22-hour flight from here to Ireland. And so I didn't even know which time breakfast was or which way it was up. And so, yeah, it took seven days before until I woke up in the morning and I actually was hungry again. And so this is a sign because a lot of people say, I don't know if I could go without breakfast. You know, I'm always hungry in the morning. This is evidence that your hunger is learned. I have a video in my program called The Hunger Myth because we learn hunger. We learn when to crave things and we can unlearn them. And so I unlearned them because I used to have breakfast all the time and wake up hungry. And it took only seven days for breakfast hunger to come back and to wake up and be like, oh, I need to eat for the next 30 minutes. Uh, and the problem with that, with that is that whenever I eat breakfast on holidays, I immediately feel a little bit groggy because I can feel I've just added this load to my gut in my most productive hours of work, right? So that's what happened. It took four days for my sugar crashes to come back. So only four days. And this is because I was not eating amazingly. But four days for me to, you know, have a particular food or a particular meal or try something, whether it be a pint of beer. And then, you know, like within the next hour, I'm crashing. I need to sleep. I'm tired. Now, remember, it's only four days. So my jet lag is still absolutely insane. And in the first four days, I barely slept more than three hours a night. Just the location of the place I was staying was awful. But still, it took four days for sugar crashes to come back. After eating, I was needing a nap. And if you're someone that needs a nap, then your blood sugar probably needs to be worked on, right? It then took 10 days for dessert cravings to come back. I haven't had dessert in years. It's just not a thing because, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have a, I don't have a wife or a husband that demands ice cream after dinner. You know, I grew up with that kind of thing, but also the food, the main meal we ate when I was younger was much healthier than the average home as well, I would say. And so I haven't had dessert in a long time, but not only are you eating carbohydrate-rich food all day, so protein deficiency as well, so that drives sugar cravings. But then we started to, you know, do this, this, this thing of like, oh, ice cream for dinner. And, you know, it's a bit of a family bonding thing and or, or going for a couple of beers with cousins or, or family that I haven't seen in a long time, you know, whatever it is. It took about 10 days for me to then eat my dinner and then be like, oh, I really need some dessert. And I was like, shit, which is another sign of blood sugar dysregulation and their relationship with food being becoming a little more complex because I'm not eating correctly. I'm not sleeping correctly. I'm not exposed to healthy options. It's actually quite difficult in some of these places to find healthy options or the place I'm staying is not a place where I'm able to actually cook a healthy meal or go to the supermarket and buy some healthy food. And then you go into some supermarkets overseas and you realize literally everything is a bag, a box or a can. And we're pretty lucky here in Australia to have a decent sized produce section. So all of these things are a factor, right? which makes me more empathetic to, to people that are living in these countries. Having said that, I can guarantee that we can find bag of box or a canned foods that are far better than some of the shit that people eat. Anyway, so it took 10 days for dessert cravings to come back. And it only took five days for me to be absolutely yearning, <laughs> absolutely yearning to put vegetables and salad into my body. 
like, oh, I was just, I felt so deficient and like my body was missing, my gut was missing the beautiful natural food that I normally eat, you know, irrelevant of it being organic or not. I just missed whole real food that wasn't cooked in oils, you know, loads of vegetable oils, which most, most shit is in any restaurant in anywhere in the world, sadly. And I was just like, oh, get me some healthy food, please. Oh, it sucked. Which eventually I was able to find. It took me a little bit of digging on Google to sort of Google the five healthiest locations to eat in Dublin or the five healthiest locations to eat in Belfast or Edinburgh. (laughs) You know, it took me a bit of Googling to find some blogs and then to actually see if they were healthy or they just had healthy branding. There's a lot of places like that in Melbourne as well, the quote unquote healthy restaurants. But really, and, and this is the same as the supermarket, I might add, but really they're just companies that are really good at branding and they know exactly the colors to pick for their brand, the font to use for their brand, the packaging to design correctly for their brand. And then you think just by looking at it that, oh, this must be healthy, right? And so I had to figure out if things were actually really healthy or they were just sugar-filled health wannabe stores. And I found some healthy food. It was a bit of a trek to get there, but, you know, I had to do it. I had to do it because I wasn't able to cook in most of the places that I was staying. What else? So my sleep was absolutely fucked instantly. So the night before I traveled, I had this genius idea of staying up all night so that I could sleep on the plane, which is a genius idea. But guess what? I didn't really sleep on the plane at all. (laughs) And so I landed in Dublin and I felt like a zombie. Not only that, but I got a sty. I got a sty from like, I don't know, sleeping on some pillow or just being super underslept and undernourished. And so I got a bit of a sty, which is, you know, this little infection in your eye, which took most of the whole trip to to sort out. And yeah, it just wasn't comfortable at all. One of the good things though, is that I said no 23 times, right? I said no 23 times to dessert or to a beer, or to another beer, or to even the beer that I was drinking, I abandoned it halfway through, or the meal, or the location, but whatever it was, I just kept a tally of how many times I said no. Because even though you're on holiday, you can still say no, you can still spend energy finding your healthy food. And so I said no 23 times, which is cool. And exercising the no muscle with family members and friends is always a good idea. Because often we just say yes, because we don't want to be a hassle. And you're not being a hassle, you're looking after yourself. It took me six days post-holiday, so once I got back into Australia, or back into Melbourne specifically, it took me about six days for my poop routine to get back to normal, because eating such a different diet, my bowels were moving at different times and on the Bristol chart I was fluctuating up and down the numbers because I was eating such different food and such terrible food for my gut but once I got back to Australia eating healthy food in my normal sleep routine it took me six days for that to normalize which was good and so I guess the reason that I wanted to put this podcast together is just to highlight how quickly we can get derailed and so a lot of people will go on holiday and then come back and just continue and has that been you before The question is, how do we come back from holiday and not derail ourselves and not fall off the bandwagon and not just continue what feels easy 
practically speaking, but is also not easy at all on the daily basis because we're riding the sugar roller coaster. Our blood sugar is up shit creek without a paddle. We're in a situation where our guts aren't well. Everything we put in doesn't feel good. We've got brain fog. And I experienced all of this. I experienced all of this while I was away because I was so far out of my routine. Now, the way to be able to come back to where you live and get back into your normal healthy routine, the most important part is to have a healthy routine to begin with. If you do not miss being a healthy person, it's very unlikely that you're going to come back and continue being a healthy person. You want to create a healthy, abundant life. And my life isn't perfect. You know, I don't have six pack abs. I don't say no to red wine occasionally with a friend. I don't say no to pizza occasionally. But 90% of my life is as whole real food as you can get. And so I genuinely feel so clean in my blood, in my body, in my mind, eating that way, that I miss feeling that clean and clear and and able and energetic and focused. And when I eat the other foods, I just feel awful. I just feel shit. And so if you've got to be in a situation where you're healthy first and you feel amazing, and then you go away for overseas and you actually start missing home because you miss the healthy person that you once were. And I say once were, I mean, you know, three weeks ago. (laughs) So you need to create that healthy life first so that you've got something to come back to. And a deeper question to ask is if I don't want to go back to being clear and focused and energetic, the question there is why? Because a lot of people use food and sugar and alcohol to numb out, to numb themselves. Because when they are clear, clean, energetic and present, they're present because they've got all of that bullshit out of their system. They don't like that because they've got emotions to run away from. They've got responsibilities to run away from. They've got people to run away from. And you can do that at the bottom of a bucket of chicken or the bottom of a wine glass, or you can do that at the bottom of a chocolate block. You can run away from that. And maybe when you were on holidays, you felt like you were in that familiar space of not having to deal with your problems. And that was a nice break. You got a bit of a reprieve from dealing with life's bullshit. And so you came back home and you continued being unhealthy because you're like, ah, it's better just to not have to deal with anything and numb out. And you get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't even really remember what happened this week. You know, I was sort of so drunk or I was so high on sugar or whatever your drug of choice is. So if you struggle to get back on the bandwagon because feeling clean and clear feels burdensome and problematic, then there's a deeper level of work that we need to do there. We need to go much deeper and understand why. Why are you fearful of being in a space where you're clean and healthy? Do you have a belief system that you are an unhealthy person or that you are a fat person? And that as you start to behave in a a different way, you feel so foreign and strange to yourself that you like, ah, no, I'm going back to where I was before. You know, you've got to analyze this kind of stuff because this is exactly the the motivating factor for people to fall off the bandwagon and stay off it and then say, ah, it's all too hard. Everybody else is weak and I've just got complex problems. I've heard that so many times. So many people that think they're the only one or you're the only one that's got these challenges. And we've all got them. We've all got shit we'd rather run away from. So I want to invite you to do some deeper work. And if you've got holidays coming up, then make sure that your healthy routine feels good. You want to feel good in your healthy routine so that when you go away, you really crave being back. I also had a client recently that went to Singapore 
during doing the program that we run. And if you wanted to be a part of the program for emotional binge and overeating that we do, please scroll down to the show notes below, click the link, send us your inquiry. But she was in Singapore recently and managed to do really well with eating quite healthy and maintaining some of her health routines whilst she was there because she enjoys how she feels. And that's what I missed while I was away. I enjoyed that my body feels actually fantastic. (laughs) It feels fantastic when I've got healthy food in it and I just enjoy it and I feel more like myself. So with that, if you've got a holiday coming up, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's fantastic. I hope you learned something from this episode. I'm back to normal now. Everything's regular. I'm a four on the Bristol chart. My sleep is back in action. My food is back in action. And I feel good. I also really enjoyed all of the stuff that I did whilst I was overseas, despite the consequences that it came with. So don't get me wrong. I love pizza and wine as much as the next person, but I enjoy feeling amazing much more than that. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed this conversation about how quick shit falls apart, then please give us five stars. Write a review of the podcast. We'd love to know what you've got to say about it. And otherwise, I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.